Welcome to the John Gets Games podcast. In this episode, you'll be hearing the audio from a recent impressions vlog where I discussed three new games that I've played recently. Now, I will be going through them in alphabetical order, and those are Bandito, Little Town, and Mandala. Now, if you'd like to hear just part of this podcast, then go to the description where you can find timestamps to skip to the section that you'd like to hear. At this point, I would like to mention that the only reason this podcast is being made is because of the direct support coming in through the Patreon campaign. Now, if you enjoy listening to these vlogs instead of watching them on YouTube, then I hope you would consider supporting that campaign, and you can learn more about it by going to patreon.com slash Games. Now, the final thing I'd like to ask is that if you have any questions or comments about anything I say in this podcast, that you leave those as comments on the YouTube page for the vlog, and you can find a link to that in the description of this podcast. All right, let's now start talking about games, and the first one I will be discussing is Bandito. Now, this is not a new game. In fact, it came out in 2016, and I only heard about it a few months ago. Uh, now, the reason for that is because I enjoy watching the Game Night uh, series on the Board Game Geek YouTube channel where they uh, play board games. I like watching people play board games, and they did an episode for Bandito uh, many months ago. Uh, now, this is a very simple cooperative game where uh, in the center of the table, there is a bandit in a... I guess, tunnel or a cave, and then each player has three cards in front of them. Now, on your turn, you just play one card down to the table, and these cards have tunnels on them, and what you're trying to do is capture the bandit. You want to close off all of the exits. Now, I believe when you're playing on the standard difficulty, there are five exits for the bandit, and you can play on the advanced difficulty with six exits. Um, now, that's essentially the game, and I have played it I don't know, about four or five times now over the last month. Uh, the reason for that is because it takes about 15 seconds to teach the whole game, and uh, that makes it a great game to play while you're waiting for somebody else to show up for a pre-planned uh, gaming uh, night or something like that. So um, this game is very simple, obviously, but also it's quite difficult. And you may have noticed <laughs> through the graphics that there is not a bandit over there. In fact, there is a little virus. Now, that is because uh, the publisher of this game has put out a uh, free print and play called Bandito COVID-19, where they took the exact game of Bandito and they just changed all of the art. So instead of being a bandit in a cave, it's now a virus in a body. And uh, instead of like uh, walling in the exits with various things that you would wall a bandit in, uh, you wall in in with uh, things like social distancing and uh, calling your doctor before you show up there and that kind of thing. So it's um, definitely a tying into the current world events, uh, but it's also the same exact game with just a different theme. Now, uh, I have to say that uh, for what it is, I've quite enjoyed playing it. Uh, this is, again, so incredibly easy to teach, but it's also quite challenging. And as I mentioned before, there's kind of a normal way to play and an advanced way to play. And I've only played this on Tabletop Simulator, and they only have the advanced way to play with these six exits. Now, <laughs> every single time I've played this game, there's been a uh, similar kind of arc where the game starts off and it seems really easy because you're placing these down and you're finding uh, ways to wall off the different tunnels, and that's great, but you are not allowed to place uh, cards down so that a tunnel does not go into another tunnel. So early in the game, it's easy. You start with six um, exits and maybe three or four turns in, you might be down to three exits. Uh, on a couple of the games that I played, we've gotten down to one exit and we're like, okay, we got it. We got this in the bag. But then well, you look at your cards in your hand and you have to play one on your turn. And if you don't have something that can wall off that last exit, well, then the game's going to get prolonged. And it's possible that you have been playing all your really good cards to get the exits down to one, which means the cards in your hand 
are not great. They might turn one tunnel into two or three or four different tunnels. So there's been an arc of uh, almost winning and then suddenly placing a uh, card down where you were at one exit and now you're at three. And then two turns later, you're back to like six or seven exits and you're obviously not gonna win the game at that point. So what you're trying to do is creatively place these tiles down so that you can uh, make uh, again, creative ways to actually wall in with some of the less efficient cards, but you're not allowed to actually talk about the specific cards that you have in your hand with your uh, companions around the table. Uh, so at this point, again, I've played it, I think around five times and I've won only a single time. Uh, it got down to one exit and we were able to pull that off and it felt really good. It felt really good, honestly, because that was like my fourth play at that point. And yeah, for what this game is, I think it does what it's trying to do incredibly well. Um, there is a decent amount of luck of the draw. In fact, there might be a lot of luck in this game. I'm not really sure. I've only played it a few times. And each game takes about 10, maybe 15 minutes to play. And I've played it at two, three, and maybe four players at this point. So yeah, I definitely recommend Bandito as a simple, fun, and surprisingly difficult cooperative game that you can play. And again, at this moment, you can download it for free from the publisher. All right, let's now move on to the second game I will be discussing today, and that one is called Little Town. Now, this one was first published in 2017 as Little Town Builders from a Japanese publisher, but then it was picked up by Yellow Games and then renamed Little Town. Now, I've been interested in trying this game for a couple of years. Uh, I first saw some images of it, I think, on Twitter, and I thought it looked interesting. And at this point, I've now been able to play it once just a couple of weeks ago, and I really enjoyed that experience. Now, let's start things off by talking about how the game actually plays. Now, on the surface of it, this looks to be a very simple worker placement style game. You have a certain number of workers depending on the player count and on your turn, you will use one of your workers to do an action. Now, the main action that you are doing is sending your worker out to the middle of the table where there is a large square grid. Now, at the start of the game, that square grid has a bunch of grass areas on it and then some of them have uh, trees or ponds or mountains on them. Now, whenever you place a worker down, it must go down onto an empty grass location. That means there cannot be another worker there. There can also not be a tile or a uh, something printed underneath it so you cannot place onto a pond, for instance. Now, after you place that worker down, it will activate all eight of the surrounding locations. That means if you're next to a pond, that worker will make you a fish resource. If you're next to a mountain, that worker will make you a stone resource. And if you are next to a building, then you have the option of activating that building. Now, at the start of the game, there are no buildings on the board. And the other thing that you can do with your workers instead of activating the board is you can send them to the workshop where you can spend those resources that you've been acquiring to construct these buildings. Now, the buildings have to go out onto empty locations on the board, and you put a token on it to show that it is yours. It's uh, going to give you some victory points immediately or potentially at the end of the game, and now it likely has an action on it that you can activate if you go next to it. Now, your opponents can also activate your buildings, but it will cost them one coin, which is one of the resources in the game. So you start with some coins, and you will be spending coins a lot to uh, give them to your opponents to activate the buildings that they have constructed, and they might use the coin that you gave them to then activate one of your buildings and back and forth. Now, as you play through the game, you are going to continue constructing these buildings, and that means that this board that starts out empty will start to get more and more crowded with buildings, but that also means that the worker placement location options will get significantly more uh, constrained and compelling as the game goes on. So you start with this empty field, and at the end of the four overall rounds, the game is over, and the, <laughs> the board is going to be full of different buildings with a wide variety of different combinations of actions that you can pull off. So the idea of placing a worker and getting up to eight actions with that worker is super interesting, and it completely worked in our four-player game. Uh, 
Uh, now, uh, that's essentially how the game uh, works. Uh, as you're playing through, you will have a couple of little goals with hidden cards that you're trying to play towards to give yourself a couple extra points, but it really is all about uh, being smart with placing your workers onto spots, uh, being smart with spending your resources to build buildings that give you points and unlock new building locations that you can go to or maybe your opponents go to to then give you coins, which means you have coins that you can spend them to do a wide variety of other things. Uh, now, I did mention that most of the buildings uh, give you a set number of points, but a couple of them give you end game points. And in fact, there is a deck of, I believe, 24 different buildings in the game. And every time you play, you will randomly pull 12 of those out and you will only play with those 12. So from a replayability perspective, that is pretty high. Uh, that means if you play this game two or three times, you will likely see uh, some familiar buildings, maybe even the same building in all three games. But you are certainly going to see a significantly different uh, set of building uh, uh, types in front of you. Um, you might play a game where there's no way to make more coins. So you're just gonna start the game with the coins that you have and they'll get passed back around. Or you might play a game where it is super easy to get coins and people are just drowning in them and activating each other's buildings like crazy. So I think a big part of this game is at the very start, looking out to see what the variety of buildings is like and then um, kind of making a game plan off that. Obviously I've only played the game once and we weren't really paying attention to that because it was a first time play for all of us. But I think all of us quite enjoyed the experience. I certainly really enjoyed the game. Uh, now we only had one issue with the game and it turned out to be a mistake that happened. Uh, essentially one of the buildings scores end game victory points and the rule book did not actually have a breakdown for all of the symbols. So I went online and tried to find a uh, example of what this actually meant. And it seemed to say that this one building would give you points for all surrounding buildings of any player color. Now the game ended and the player who built that building won by a landslide. But then afterwards, digging through some forums, we realized that no, that was a misprint. Uh, that building is only supposed to score you points for the adjacent buildings that are your color, which makes that building much more balanced overall. And so uh, going into future games, I don't Mind playing with that tile as long as we play with it correctly. Um, so <laughs> the one play that we had did not feel super competitive because one person blew the game out. Uh, but again, that was because of a typo on a different document that I found online because the actual rulebook in Tabletop Simulator did not explain any of these icons. The icons seem pretty self-explanatory, but obviously if you make a slight mistake, like is this all buildings or just yours, that can have a big impact on the game. So um, I think at the end of the day, I'm really looking forward to playing this game more. The fact that you can easily teach this game in 10 minutes or less. And the fact that playing the game takes about 60 minutes, maybe a little bit over, means that this could fit in very easily into a lot of different game nights. Now, obviously I play this one on Tabletop Simulator and I hope to play it more on Tabletop Simulator. But at this point, this is a game that I could certainly see myself trying to acquire a copy of to play once the shelter in place uh, world that we live in is gone because I think as far as a gateway style game and a gateway worker placement style game is concerned, this one is really neat. Um, just the way that the field that you are playing into evolves over time uh, is going to make one gameplay significantly different from the other. But I also feel like you could easily teach this to somebody who has never even played a worker placement game before. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about the game, honestly, after that one play. And again, I am definitely looking forward to playing this one more in the future. 
Okay, let's now move on to the third and final game I'll be talking about today, and that one is called Mandala. Now, this game was published in 2019, and I first started hearing about it a few months ago, and there was this curious pattern where anytime I heard or uh, saw anybody type about this game, they always did it with glowing praise. So as time went on and more and more people were saying this game is amazing, I got more and more interested in trying it. Now, this is a two-player-only card-style game, and in general, I don't actually play that many two-player games when I go to game nights and whatnot. So I didn't rush out to buy it, but now uh, since we are in the strange shelter in place times, I have actually had lots of opportunities to play two player only games with friends online um, at night. Uh, now I was able to play this game twice in a row last night with a friend of mine. It was a first time for both of us playing it. And let me start this off by trying to describe how this game plays. Now in the table or on the table, there is a board in front of the players. And um, the thing that you want to think about is there's effectively three different rows in front of the players. There is a middle row, there's a row that's close to you, and there is a row that's close to your opponent. Now, what you're doing in this game is you have a deck of cards. It's a really big deck, but the cards are simple. There's just six different colors, and that's it on the cards. There's nice art, but there are no icons or uh, numbers or anything. Now, when it's your turn, you can either play a single card from your hand into the middle row that's in front of you. Again, there are three rows. And then after you play into that middle row, you draw up to three cards from the deck up to your hand limit of eight. Now, instead of placing to the middle row, you can place any number of cards into the field, which is the row that's closer to you in front of you. And all of those cards have to be the same color. Now, after you do that, you do not draw cards back up. So if you play a card to the middle, you draw cards. If you play one or more cards in front of you, then you do not draw cards. Now, the key, um, rule to this game is the fact that in this area where you have these three different zones, there can never be cards of the same color in multiple zones. So that means if there is a red card in the middle area, which is called the mountain, then you are never allowed to have any red cards in either of the fields. Now, my field is the other row that's close to me, and my opponent's field is the one on the opposite side of the mountain. So what that means is um, a red might be in the middle and a yellow, so that means I cannot place any red or yellow into my field. Now, we are going to keep playing the game until one of these areas scores. And I say one of these areas because this area with the three different rows, there's actually two discrete uh, sections of these on the board. Now, as soon as at the end of a player's turn, there are all six different colored cards in that area. So within all three of those regions, that mandala will be destroyed and scored. Now, the way this works is the player with the most cards in the field in front of them can start and they can take all of the cards of a single color from the mountain in the middle and they will then score them. Now, the way this works is there is a row in front of the players that has six different slots and they start empty at the start of the game. Now, if I was to score uh, two green cards, let's say, I would then look down to this row in front of me. And if I don't have any green cards on that row already, I would take one of them and I'd put it down into the leftmost spot. And then the rest of the green cards would go into my cup, into a face down spot. Now, this row in front of you has six spots and they have numbers that go one all the way up through six. Now, you're going to keep playing the game until... Uh, something happens. I don't need to go into the specifics of it. But when the game is over, all of your points are in that cup over to the side. And the cards in your cup are worth points equal to the value of where that color is on the scale in front of you. So going back to that example where I drew two green, um, let's say that I already had an orange on my track. So now I have the two, three, four, five, and six open. So I put one green into the two spot and the other one into my cup. This means all greens in my cup are worth two points at the end of the game. And that one card that I put into the cup is now worth two points. The card that's out on the 
the row that shows for the scoring does not uh, give you any points at all. Uh, that means uh, as you get deeper into the game, you can put higher value or you will ascribe higher values to different colors. Uh, maybe you will put a, a red down onto the five scoring spot and that red card is not worth five points. It just makes every red card in your cup worth five points. So you are highly incentivized to get more red cards. Um, so that's essentially how the game plays. Um, you can also do a thing where you discard cards to draw back up, but this is a really strange game to play. Uh, as I said, I played it with a friend of mine and we played it twice, uh, mostly because, well, A, we really enjoyed the game. It was super cool. But B was because in our first game, we had no idea what we were doing. We felt like we were bumbling around in a dark room of strategy and the game ended after about... <laughs> 10 or 12 minutes with me having a landslide blowout victory because we did not know what we were doing. I just kind of accidentally super won the game. And at the end of the game, we're like, oh, okay, we're starting to figure things out. Uh, because as you're playing this game, you are essentially locking your opponent's options out from their own field. Remember in this example where there is a red and a yellow in the mountain? Well, now neither of us can place red or yellow in our fields. So let's say I placed uh, two black into my field. Well, now my opponent cannot place red, yellow, or black into their field. And obviously, if you have more cards in your field, you will get first dibs at drawing these cards. And depending on the number of cards in the middle of the mountain, you might, uh, you very well might get more cards than your opponent when these things score. So you're trying to box your opponents out. But also, if there is a mountain set up where it's not scoring yet, but you have a big lead, maybe you drop like four purples down into your field and your opponent just has one card over there. Well, then you are highly incentivized to keep throwing more cards of the same color onto the mountain. Now, I said you cannot have cards of the same color in two different areas, but that does not stop you from continuing to add maybe purple cards onto the mountain. So, um, or I guess in this example, purple is my scoring thing. So let's say red cards onto the mountain. So that means I essentially have this mountain locked out, but it's not scored just yet. So I'm gonna keep throwing these uh, red cards on top of it, making a big stack, because when you score, you take all of the cards of one color. So that means my opponent is now desperate to score that mountain because they can just see I'm stacking more and more red cards, which I will be guaranteed to grab because they're not in a position to actually uh, compete for the four cards that are in my um, uh, field. And of course, they are trying to get the card to be able to score this. And there are lots of opportunities in this game where you actually score a mountain where you are not going to do that well because you can tell your opponent is set up to uh, do even better if you don't uh, pull the plug on that mountain as soon as you can. Uh, so we played it a second time and instead of being a 12 to 15 minute game, it was like a 45 minute game and it felt super close all the way through. Um, at the end, the scores were I think 39 to 47. I was able to win that game again, but it wasn't a blowout and um, I super enjoyed the experience and my friend uh, definitely enjoyed it as well. Um, it's really thinky. It's really strange. The rules feel very simple uh, on one hand, but then figuring out what that means to what you actually want to do was a super fascinating experience. Uh, so at this point, I am actively looking forward to playing this one a lot more. I think it is a super cool card playing experience of trying to kind of sometimes bluff out your opponents, trying to see where they're at and trying to make judgments about what they're trying to do. Uh, also just looking down to the scores, uh, the scoring uh, modifiers in front of you and your opponent trying to math out what the right thing is to do. Sure, there was some downtime, but it's a two-player only game, so the downtime was not that big of a deal. Like, the longest turn probably took like a minute or two, so that's not really that big of a deal. And honestly, I enjoyed crunching through all of these options. So uh, again, I've played this game twice, although I kind of feel like I've only played it once. That first game really felt like 
just getting through the game to figure it out. I mean, I think we scored like three of the mountains before the game ended, but then in our second game, uh, we almost met both of the end game conditions as the game went about three times as long. We probably scored, I don't know, like seven or eight mountains in that game because there was an opportunity for that game to end after about 20 minutes and my opponent stopped the game from ending. Obviously I was able to win in the end, but at that moment they felt like I was still winning, so they didn't want the game to end at that point. So uh, this is a super fascinating game and it would not surprise me at all if you are sitting here thinking, I have no idea how this actually works uh, because I am trying to do my best to describe how these interactions play out. But realistically, I didn't even get it when I was sitting there with the game in front of me until I had played through essentially an entire game. So I highly recommend people try this game. I uh, advise you to just run headfirst into that first game and not worry about strategy as you kind of figure all these things out. And uh, for me, uh, this was such a pleasurable experience that I am actually looking forward to playing it more. Even though I don't play two-player games all that often, I think it is very likely I'm going to try to get a copy of this for my collection for the future because it has a feeling of a game that I would not mind playing in 10 years. I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but uh, obviously my initial impressions are very high at this point, and hopefully they will stay high as I potentially have more opportunities to play this one in the future. Well, that is going to bring us to the end of this impressions vlog. Uh, I think it was probably a little bit shorter than normal. I'm only talking about three games here. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've been playing a lot of games um, over and over again that I've covered before. And I can give you a little bit of a, a tease. Uh, I've been playing a bunch of The King's Dilemma. Um, now, we have played, I think, six games of this one already, but it is a campaign that usually takes about 15 games to play. So I considered talking about it now, but considering we are playing it every week at this point with friends online, I think I'm going to wait until I finish out the campaign so I can talk about it as a whole. And again, uh, King's Dilemma currently is sucking up a lot of my board game playing time. So that's part of the reason I haven't played as many new games uh, recently. But either way, uh, I've been really enjoying these games. Obviously, I enjoyed all three that I talked about today. Uh, two of them, I again, am interested in uh, buying uh, real copies of because I thought they were so much fun. Uh, so hopefully I can continue to be lucky and play great games uh, moving on into the next few weeks. All right, that is going to bring this podcast to a close. Again, if you have any questions or comments about anything that I've said here today, then please click the link to the vlog that is in the podcast description and leave those as comments over there. Thanks for listening.